Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? It's a good morning of worship. Happy Palm Sunday.
good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Grace is so good. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that says.
loves to hear us sing amen thank you jesus for your unmanly love your amazing grace god thank you jesus
praise you, praise you, praise you, Heavenly Father. Isn't he good? Praise you, Heavenly Father. Would you give the Lord a shout this morning? Aren't you grateful to be in church? Aren't you grateful to have a Heavenly Father that loves you? Aren't you grateful to have a voice to sing praises to Him? Amen. Well, family, before we are seated this morning, make sure you turn and look right at that camera. Is that Ben up there? We want to make sure to say hi to everybody that's at home and online. Hi, Miss Beth. We love you. We miss you. Everybody online, thanks for joining us on Facebook and YouTube. You are part of this family, and we are grateful that you are here with us this morning as well. Family, as you are seated, we want to dismiss the kids this morning. That will include the junior high class and my junior high leaders. You guys can take off as well. Amen. Look at all of them. Isn't that good? I'm blessed to have grown up in this kids' ministry, and I'm glad that the kids and the children's pastors poured the word of God into me. And I promise you that when your kids and your junior hires go that way, the word of God is getting dumped uh, right on and right into their hearts so that when they grow old, they will not depart from it. Amen. All right. That was, that was good. I love that song. Don't you? What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. That is so good. We want to make sure to welcome any first-time visitors, or, or how about this way? I met a couple this morning that visited long time ago when I was about 11. So if it was your first time visiting here today, or it's your first time back in a long time, would you raise your hand so we can welcome you today? Here they are right here. Anyone else? Welcome, you guys. We're glad that you're back visiting with us this morning. If you don't have a home church, you found one. Amen. <laughs> Uh, guys, just a couple quick things and then we'll get going this morning. I know you are eager. You had amazing worship and your hearts are open and ready to receive. Amen. We have some amazing serving opportunities with the kids ministry. You guys, please, if you have any inkling on your heart or you're looking for a place to serve, go talk to Pastor Lauren. We need uh, continue. You know, working with kids can get tiring. So we want to make sure that they are refreshed, that, that it's not a burden for them to be working in there. We also want to make sure that the, the people that are teaching in those classes and serving have the opportunity to be in main service uh, sometimes as well. So if you have, uh, the, I can feel that the Holy Spirit's leading a lot of you right now <laughs> to want to be signing up for the kids' ministry. So see Pastor Lauren after the service or maybe down at the food court today um, if you want to serve with that. Uh, we have Awanas every Tuesday that we could use volunteers for. That's every Tuesday uh, from 3.30 to 5. We have games and Bible memorization uh, for the kids, and I believe uh, that stops at fourth or fifth grade, I think is how, how old that goes to. Um, there's information online about that as well, um, and there's a few other things coming up for the kids that we mentioned last week, a camp-in and then a, a youth v, or a kids VBS. Um, I haven't made it public yet, but I wanted to let you know if you have high school and junior high school age students that the camp that we went to two years ago, right, everything was closed last year, that they are going to be open this summer, and they're going to have us up this summer to come be part of that. That'll be the end of July. I'll have you guys give you some more dates as we get closer, but be praying for uh, the youth leaders that go up to minister to the, to the young people, but also that it would be stirred in the young people's hearts to want to go be a part of that as well. Amen. Uh, ladies, don't forget Saturday, April 24th, there will be an outdoor spring boutique, right, lady? A boutique, a boutique, an outdoor spring boutique. 
It's from 10 to 3, and if you'd like to be a vendor or you want to have more information about that event, Miss Lindy will be right outside these back doors at a beautifully set up table uh, where you can get all the information that you want. We want to make sure that you guys are aware of that, and it's a great event, ladies, to bring some of your friends to as well. Uh, my last announcement for you guys today is Food Court Sunday. If you look out the doors and the windows or on your drive to church this morning, you notice it's a beautiful day. So me and a couple of the guys are going to head down just towards the end of service and pull a whole bunch of tables together, just like we did last time, so we can be together as a family. Isn't it good to have a church family? Amen. Uh, guys, as always, uh, you know that uh, if you're giving by cash or check, we have guys at the back of the doors at the end of the service that you can drop that in. There's also a ton of other ways to give. Uh, you can give by text. You can give online. Um, isn't it good to be able to give? Isn't it worth it to give? <laughs> you know, sometimes giving can be really hard. It can feel hard. And, uh, you know, there's sometimes when I, up here at worship, I think to myself, if for no other reason in worship would I lift my hands, it's because the word of God says so. The Bible says to lift your hands in worship. Isn't that good? So sometimes when I don't feel, my arms are heavy. If you did a shoulder workout yesterday, we're just like, oh, love handle, arm support, right? But the Bible instructs us to lift our holy hands, and the Bible gives us the opportunity and instructs us, instructs us to give. So don't take yourself out of God's best by, by not uh, participating in the ability to give to your Heavenly Father. Aren't you glad that he gave you everything you have anyway? It's all his, and when you view it that way, it's easy to give. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this day, for this time to be together. God, we are just so grateful for the people in our lives, the things in our lives, the jobs that we have, the church that we have, the church family that we have. And God, we are grateful for you, the things that you've done, the things that you've called us to do. And God, we don't take those things lightly. So God, we honor you here today with our worship with the words that we say, with our hearts ready to receive, and with our offerings, God. That everything we do every day in our lives is for your name to be glorified in this earth. If you can agree with that, would you say amen?
Let's all stand together, please. And while you're standing, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that's here among us and who dwells within us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your precious Holy Word, that it can be a foundation for our lives, a foundation for victory, that in doing the Word, Father, it leads us into every bit of the blessings that Jesus purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Father, conform us more and more into your image by your spirit and by your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. And it, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem 1999, uh, 1991 years ago, it set in motion the whole reason that Jesus came to the earth. This last week of his time on the earth was certainly a, a display of God's mercy and his goodness. As he came to the city of Jerusalem, people spontaneously began to take off their garments and spread them in, uh, in front of the, the little donkey that Jesus was riding into the city. It tells us that they were crying out, Hosanna to the king. It was a supernatural occurrence because many of the people that were calling him the son of David didn't really believe that he was the Christ. You may remember that also that the Pharisees were upset with the praise of the people that were given, that was given toward Jesus. And Luke's account tells us that Jesus responded that if the people didn't cry out in their praises, then the rocks would. It tells us furthermore that Jesus during this last week of his ministry here on the earth. He went into the temple and chased out the money changers. Now that wasn't the first time that he had done that. He did that really to kick off his ministry his first time in Jerusalem from the, uh, from the time that he was baptized by John in the, in the Jordan River. And the Holy Ghost came and descended upon him and stayed. So he cleaned the cleared out the money changers of the temple again, just like he had done three years before. Then he healed the sick. The Bible says that they brought the sick to him in the temple and he healed many different diseases, many that were lame walked, many that were blind were, had their eyes opened. It also tells us that during this last week of Jesus' ministry, Jesus cursed the fig tree, the story we know so well from Mark chapter 11, where he gave us the, the greatest explanation of the principles of faith and the operation thereof. The Bible also tells us that during this last week of Jesus' ministry, he experienced 
indescribable pain and suffering as a result of him being made sin for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. It's talking about the heroes of faith in the previous chapter. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus knew very well and had known all of his life his purpose for coming to the earth. That purpose, of course, was to die. To affect the redemptive plan of God for all mankind. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it's a great celebration. And I'm sure he appreciated to the fullest extent the praises of the people and they're acknowledging that he was the Christ. Now some of those same people that were praising his name on Palm Sunday would just in a few short days be calling for his death. And Jesus knew and the disciples knew, or at least they were supposed to know, from Jesus' explanation to them, as the scripture says, he clearly told them that he would go to Jerusalem and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus knew this, the, the horrors of what was waiting for him through the crucifixion We remember that the night that he was betrayed, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat great drops of blood. Medical science has identified a very few people that have experienced that kind of stress and that type of anguish to where they sweat blood but no one ever has survived it there's no physical there's no medical record of anybody that experienced that that lived to tell about it 
So Jesus is clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane pulling back from what God's plan is. And you may remember that his prayer was, Lord, if it be possible for this cup to pass from me, let it be. But if it was the only way that he could fulfill God's plan of redemption, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We have the privilege of looking backwards to see the things that Jesus was recalling from. But Jesus was the only one that knew up front and ahead of time what the measure of suffering would be. The Bible says Jesus despised the cross. So on Palm Sunday, he knows he's headed in a one-way direction toward that which he despised the most. Now I'm sure that the physical pain of the of the crucifixion and the physical pain of the beatings that he took in Pilate's court prior to being crucified. No one in their right mind would look forward to that. But Jesus also knew that it was more than just the physical pain that he would have to suffer. He knew that the price for sin had to be paid following his death in the three days that he spent in the, the belly of the earth. The Bible describes to us in a couple of places, one, um, Psalm 88 particularly, the horrors that were placed upon him. It describes it as the waves of the ocean, wave after wave after wave of evil that buffeted him. But it was necessary for somebody to pay that price or else we would have to pay it for ourselves upon our death. I'm sure Jesus had some mixed emotions all during this last week of his life here on the earth. He despised the shame of the cross. What would keep somebody going in that direction according to God's will, knowing all the things and the sufferings and the indescribable terrors that would come upon him in those three days and three nights. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. Now what was that joy? We might say, well, he was exalted and raised to be seated on the right hand of God. So maybe that's it. He had that before he ever came to the earth. The Bible says in Philippians 2, in the passage we just read, that he made himself of no reputation. That really means he emptied himself out of any power, of his heavenly power and glory. We know that to be true because in John chapter 17, 
Jesus prays that God would restore that power and that glory that he had with him before the creation of the earth. So the joy set before him wasn't anything relating to the Father's glory that he would receive. Well, if it wasn't that, then what was it? It was that you and I could enter into eternal life. Jesus told one of the thieves on the cross next to him that he could call for for legions of angels to take him down from the cross. Folks, the discipline that it took for Jesus not to stop before it was finished is mind-boggling. Truly mind-boggling. Jesus came to restore a place in God's family for you and I. And that was the purpose, God's eternal purpose for which Jesus was born into the earth. So when we talk about the joy that was set before him and recognize that that has to do with your victory and your peace, then it causes us to look back to see what God's plan was. There's a word in the Hebrew language that's translated pray. And it's translated to you. But there are different uses for this, these different words. The first time that the word pray shows up in the Old Testament It's talking about an interaction between people. It's like somebody asking to do something for them. It has no interaction with God whatsoever. But there's another word that's used and translated into the English word pray. It's a three-letter Hebrew word. You remember that uh, one of the outstanding characteristics of the Hebrew language is that with each of the letters of the alphabet, there are pictures that are associated with the use of those words. Not just pictures that that correspond to the words themselves, but the the letters themselves. So this three-letter Hebrew word uses as its first character or first letter The symbol is a mouth, and it means to speak. The other words, the other letters that are used in this three-letter Hebrew word are the same ones. And the, the symbol for that letter is a shepherd's staff, and it means authority. Now, when the in the Hebrew language, particularly the ancient Hebrew, anytime a letter is used twice, joined together and used twice, means the ultimate of whatever thing is being described. So in this Hebrew, three-letter Hebrew word that's translated pray, it means to speak 
and then it means ultimate authority. Now, the reason that I presented it that way is because there's two ways that you can look at it. Those two ways, the first of those two ways is to speak with authority, ultimate authority. But the other way to look at it is to speak to the ultimate authority. Now, Judaism takes the latter of that, and most of the Christian world does too, it seems. Because their idea of prayer is to speak to the ultimate authority, which is God. But the only way we know for sure what was intended is to look and see how it was used. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 20. This is a part of the joy that was set before Jesus. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her and said, Lord, what, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands, I have done this. And, the, and God said to him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against her. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. This is that three-letter Hebrew word. And he shall pray for thee. And thou shalt live, and if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. This word pray is used here to speak with ultimate authority. And notice that God is not saying that he's the ultimate authority. He's saying Abraham has the ultimate authority. He didn't even say Abraham will pray to me and then I will restore. God exalts his friend Abraham through the work that Abraham will do. There are some other places. As I said, this word is used 82 times in the Old Testament. I won't look at all 82 times. But I will take out, pick out a couple and show you again how it's used. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned out, burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. This is that word pray again. And it's, the emphasis is not on God's power. The emphasis is on Moses and his position relative to the people. When Moses prayed, the fire was quenched. 
In other words, when Moses executed judgment on the situation, on behalf of the people, the fire in this case was stopped. Let me show you another one. Numbers chapter 25. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself in Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. He said, Behead those that have entered into this whoredom with Moab. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the, the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. I want to read to you from uh, Psalm 106 how it describes this situation that we just read. Verse 30. It says, Then stood up Phinehas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. Folks, that's what this three-letter word means. It means to execute judgment. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both you and also the king that reigneth over you continue to follow the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord and he shall send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray, here's this other word, this three-letter Hebrew word again, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all of our sins this evil, to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, you have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve him Serve the Lord with all of your heart. And turn ye not aside, for, them, for then should you go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. So here we see another example of the execution of judgment that's, trans, that's translated into the King uh, James English as pray. God calls praying the execution of judgment. Let me show you one other one. Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 17. It tells us the story of when Elisha 
was revealing to the king of Israel the enemy king's plans. And when the enemy king hears of this, Elisha's ability to reveal to Israel his battle plans, then he sends somebody out to capture Elijah. Or I'm sorry, Elisha. And it tells us how that one morning Elisha's servant rises early and he sees the hills compassed about with the enemy that's come to take hold of his master. And Elisha answered, verse 16, and said, Fear thou not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said unto the Lord, I pray thee, this is that three-letter word again, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed, here's that word again, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria, and it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, this is that word pray again. He said, Lord, open the eyes of, those, of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. The Bible talks more about praying in regards to executing judgment than it does for any other thing. Now it seems that most of the modern church world thinks of prayer as asking God for something. But as I said, the Bible talks more about mankind declaring or speaking judgment into the earth than it does any other thing. You remember over in James chapter 5, verse 15. It says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. And if he's committed sins, the Lord will forgive him. That word that's translated pray or prayer, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It's used three times in the New Testament. The other two times it's translated as the word vow. In other words, the prayer of faith that heals the sick is a declaration of the promises and the blessings of God and never is it used in context with praying or asking God for something. We're supposed to know what belongs to us. And because we know what belongs to us, we're supposed to take hold of it by faith. Let me read to you Isaiah 43 Well, where is it? Isaiah 43, verse 25. It says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I will, remember, I will not remember thy sins. Verse 26. Put me in remembrance. Put him in remembrance of what? Of his word. 
Now, it's not because God might forget, but rather to show that we know what the word says is ours. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. This is that concept of executing judgment. This is the concept of making a declaration or a vow based on what Jesus has done. Now, folks, here's the connection between these things, or the connection that I'm trying to make at least. And that is, God created man to have authority. Genesis 126, we look at so often. Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have authority over the things of the earth. All the things of the earth. God is eternal and unchanging. So if God wanted man to have authority on the earth, which the Bible clearly says that he did, Genesis 1.26 is the purpose for God creating man on the earth. is so that he'd have authority over the works of God's hands. If God ever wanted man to have authority, then because he is eternal and unchanging, then he always wants man to have authority. You may remember the end of Matthew chapter 7, where after Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, it says the people were astonished at his doctrine. King James says, for he taught them as one having authority. But the translators added the word one because apparently their understanding was that Jesus had authority because he was the son of God. But rather, it reads in the original text, Jesus taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. The word has has to do with the manner in which something is done or literally how. The word having denotes something that you possess. So the scripture is really saying in a literal translation they were astonished at Jesus' teaching not at him but at his teaching for or because he taught them how to hold authority. He taught them how to exercise authority. Then it goes into Matthew chapter 8 and the first thing we see is a centurion coming to Jesus and asking him to speak the word of healing over his servant. And he explains that he understands how authority works. And Jesus marvels at his faith. He said, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Here's a man that's not even a Jew. He's done things to bless the Jews and as a result, even as God said to Abraham, I will bless those that bless you. So here's a man that's not, we don't have any evidence, has been under teaching or a proselyte of Judaism, but he just simply understands authority. And since he understands authority, he knows Jesus only has to speak. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. It's interesting that this man 
the centurion, he didn't get all twisted up like Christians do about whether they're worthy of something. Worthiness didn't play a place or any part whatsoever in his understanding of authority. And again, Jesus marveled at his faith. He didn't condemn him. He didn't tell him how arrogant he was. He honored his faith by speaking the word. He said, go your way and your servant lives. And that's the way it was. The joy that was set before Jesus was to bring man back into a righteous relationship with their heavenly father. And because we've been made righteous, that blood of Jesus that makes us righteous qualifies us for any and all the blessings that Jesus purchased with his blood. I want you to look with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith to you, do it. This bugged me for a long time. Because Jesus seems to be saying to his mother, Mom, it's not up to you to determine what I do. And that certainly would be right. But her response is really mind-boggling. Her response to the servants at the wedding is whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. What is it about Jesus' life and the 30 years up to this point, 30 years that she had mothered him here on the earth? What is it about their relationship or about Jesus himself that would cause her to say, whatever he says to you, do it? What is it about their relationship? What is it about the life that Jesus had lived up until he was 30 years old? We know it was a sinless life. But what is it about that relationship or his 30 years on the earth that would cause his mother to point out to the servants the importance of the words that he speaks? Folks, my mom loves me a lot. But I can't imagine that in any situation she'd say whatever he tells you to do, do it. <laughs> whatever he says to you, do it. I can only come up with one explanation for that. Now you judge this for yourself. But she must have seen his words come to pass. Now this is the first miracle that Jesus performs in his ministry 
So he hasn't been to Capernaum and healed the multitudes. He hasn't healed anybody if this is the first miracle that he produced. So here, just after being baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost descending on, on him in bodily shape as a dove, something, in other words, flew down from heaven and landed on Jesus and stayed there, was absorbed into Jesus' being. We know from other gospel writers that that was the beginning of Jesus' miracle ministry. He immediately went out into the desert where he fasted for 40 days and was tempted of the devil while he was out there. So she's never seen him do a miracle. He wasn't equipped to do miracles until this point in time. The anointing that came on Jesus when the Holy Ghost descended upon him had to have been the power of God. And if Jesus performed miracles on the earth because he was the son of God, then why didn't he perform those miracles at age 25 rather than wait till age 30? If it was because if the miracles that were produced in Jesus' ministry were caused simply by him being the son of God, then he could have done a miracle any time up to that point in time in his life. But remember Jesus said over and over again, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but of my Father. For he's the one that doeth the works. Then that would be Jesus identifying and revealing to us that it was the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost that was producing the miracle works rather than him because of who he was. That's why he identifies himself as the son of man many, many, many more times than as the son of God. So before Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost, he didn't have the power in and of himself to do healing miracles or miracles that benefited somebody else. But he has to have lived a righteous life to be a sinless sacrifice. And so there had to have been situations, I suppose, where his mother has come to realize that his words come to pass. Even in miraculous ways. But not to benefit other people, just Jesus himself living as a sinless and righteous man. So she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I wonder what she's seen throughout those 30 years that caused her to come to that place where she recognizes that his words always come to pass. Look with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 7. It says, if you abide in me 
and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. This word ask doesn't mean to beg or even request. It means to call for or require. If you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you, you shall call for or require what you will and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Herein is my Father glorified that you call for and require the things that you need. That's what he's saying glorifies God, isn't it? You asking or you calling for or you requiring or if we use the Old Testament Hebrew word, that little three-letter Hebrew word, which means to execute judgment. If you abide in him, if you're maintaining a relationship with God through his word and his word abides in you, you can have things the way you want them. And that glorifies God. Now, folks, that's Jesus talking, isn't it? God is glorified when we have things the way we want them. Now, when you speak like that, always those thoughts of doubt come. Those thoughts, well, what if somebody wants it contrary to God's word? Well, folks, notice the criteria was given before the promise. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. Folks, if his word abides in you, you're not going to want things contrary to his will. Because his word is his will. So if his word abides in us, that means we're familiar with his character and nature. Not just his promise, but who he is. And I, I suppose it works the same way with everybody, but it certainly works this way with me. The more I get to know him, the more I want to know him. The more I see the truth of his word, the more I want his word to be a reality for me. My knowledge or time spent with God doesn't make me want things contrary to his will. But rather the more and more I learn about him, the closer and closer I get to him, the more it makes me want to manifest his will in my life. I know that some people are just afraid in this day and time pretty much about everything. But when you talk about God's provision and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us to prosper and, and gain victory in the financial area, You'll always have somebody that will speak up and say, well, yeah, but Proverbs says the prosperity of fools destroys them. Well, folks, there's an answer for that. Don't be a fool. <laughs> it's up to you. The book of Proverbs is specifically designed to keep you from being a fool. So if his word on becoming wise rather than foolish abides in you then God's never going to have a problem with you having too much
If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall call for or require what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Now the fruit he's talking about is you having things the way that you want them. Calling for or requiring the sacrifice that Jesus paid to be applied to your account, to be applied to your life according to the sacrifice that he made for you. The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. The vow or the declaration. The putting God in remembrance of his word. And pleading together with him. That doesn't mean trying to talk him into what's already yours. But to take a position of righteousness because of the shed blood of Jesus. And to appropriate the blessings of Abraham on your behalf. How do we do that? We speak with the voice of authority. The ultimate voice of authority. Even as God intended. Jesus despised the shame of the cross. But for the joy set before him, he became obedient even unto death. For the joy set before him. For the joy of you walking in your authority here on the earth. That's what kept Jesus going the whole week. For you to be restored by the shedding of his blood. For you to be restored to righteousness. So that his word could live on in you. And so you could do the same works that Jesus did and even as he said, greater works because he goes to the Father. What are you declaring in your life? Declare thou that thou mayest be justified is what the Old Testament says. What are you declaring? Well, Pastor Mike, I'm really not declaring anything. which I would expect to be the case for the vast majority of the church. A failure to declare what God's word says is yours and which was purchased by the blood of Jesus is declaring that you'll have whatever the world says. See, the failure to declare is a declaration of evil and fear and unrighteousness. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Speak the word. Call into being the things that the Bible says Jesus paid for. Call into being healing for your body. Call into being abundance in your finances. Call into being the peace of God that passes understanding. Call into being forgiveness of sins when we fail. Call into being the 
the perfect will and plan of God. That's what glorifies the Father. Not some weak position that somebody might say or take, well, I'm just going to be like Job. I'm just going to endure. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Folks, if you're going to be like Job, you're going to have to repent of wrong thinking and accept twice as much as he had before. That's what it says about Job. God gave him twice as much as he had before. Speak with the ultimate voice of authority. Speak with the ultimate voice of authority in your life. You're the one that decides. You're the one that makes the choice. Jesus paid the price. The work's been done. Now it's up to us to take hold of it and walk in it. That's the, what, that's the thing that kept Jesus on track. That's the joy that was set before him. Even your strength, even your victory. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. Jesus, we honor you. We worship you. We magnify your name for being willing to endure the horrors of being made sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in you. Father, we remind you that the blessing of Abraham is ours because of Jesus' sacrifice. We remind you that your word says that sickness and poverty and spiritual death is the curse of the law. But Christ has redeemed us from that curse, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Curses is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So Father, we declare that we are the healed of God. We declare that abundant provision is ours. We declare that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. We declare victory in every area of our lives. Because we've been justified, Father, we claim the blessing of the righteous, the healing of the righteous, the abundance of the righteous, the peace of the righteous. Lord Jesus, you could have given up. You could simply have gone back to the Father without suffering the horrors of spiritual death. But you held steady. Truly faithfulness was your reins. And because of what you've done for us, Father, because of what Jesus accomplished, 
by carrying out your plan of redemption. We rejoice in you. Knowing that you're on our side. Knowing that you live within our hearts. And knowing that you lead us into victory in every aspect of life. We love you, Father. We magnify your name, Jesus. We worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, it's so good to walk in your will. It's so good to be a doer of your word. So we declare, be it unto us, even as you have spoken. Be it unto us, even as you have said. Thank you, Father, for manifesting our victory, the victory of redemption in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. Before we go, let's lift our hands and just worship him just for another moment or two. Lord, we worship you. We give you thanks. The sacrifice of praise, if need be. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name, Lord. We worship you, Master. We worship you, Heavenly Father. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever.